1 Corinthians 10, we'll begin in verse 6. The Apostle Paul says, Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And you can be seated. So this morning, we're going to just drill down on verse 13. This is this is really one of the most well-known verses in the whole book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, maybe you've memorized this verse, or you did it sometime, and you've forgotten it, or um, that sort of thing. Um, if you haven't ever memorized this verse, I highly encourage you to do so. Because my, my hope this morning is, is that as a result of, of this verse, you will be encouraged in your battle against sin. You will be encouraged to go on. You will be encouraged to fight. And, and the bottom line takeaway uh, of this passage is this. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have to sin. You don't have to sin. That, that sounds obvious and that, that sounds kind of well duh. But, but that's really what he's getting at here is, is you will never be in a situation in your life where the only option you have is to sin. There will always be a way of escape. There will always be some kind of out. From the moment that you were saved, from the moment you placed your faith alone in Christ alone for your eternal salvation, the Holy Spirit came inside of you and the Holy Spirit guides you. And at that point, God Almighty gave you every grace that you need to be obedient in every moment you will ever live. Until Jesus comes back or you go home. Now, we're not always going to be obedient. That's why we rely on the grace of God. But you've been given everything that you need to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. Every situation you enter into, you can live in a manner that pleases him. Every experience you go through, you will have all that you need to walk faithfully through it. And I don't know about you, but, but, but I need encouragement in my battle against sin. I get really tired of my sin. I get tired of the same old slog, the same old flesh day after day. I hate temptations because my flesh is weak. I'm sure your flesh is weak too. Romans 7 often rings true to me. It's where Paul says, all the things that I want to do, I don't do those. And all the things that I don't want to do, yeah, that's what I do. Right? This, is, this is the battle that we have from here until glory. I get tired of making resolves like I'm not doing that one again. I'm drawing a line in the sand, planting my flag here and now, never doing it again. And it's like 24 hours later, maybe I'm, I'm doing it again. And I'm coming back to the throne of grace, asking for forgiveness again. 
Just when I think I've made some progress, I fall. And then there are those those times where I'm like, you know what? I think I've got like victory over this. I haven't sinned like this in a long time, years. You know what happens like the next week? Yeah, I fail. Because that's the battle. That's the battle we go through. And I, again, I'm, I'm just, I'm weary of the battle. I'm tired of the battle. But this is really the life of every believer from the cross to the return of Jesus. The, the moment the Lord saved us, he freed us from the punishment of sin. But what we're looking for is glory when we are freed from the presence of sin. When there, there is no more temptation. There's no more sin. There's no more struggle. There's no more fighting. There's no more putting the flesh to death, putting the sin to death, battling against the world. Because in the presence of Jesus, all that is gone. But from Jesus, from, from his ascension until his return, that's the battle we face. All of us will face. And so we keep putting sin to death. We saw last week, we, we, sometimes we need warnings to put sin to death, don't we? That, that was all last week was, was, one big, giant, fat warning. Don't sin, don't fall into idolatry, don't fall into sexual immorality, don't fall into all this, because quite frankly, God could just kill you. Like that was the point last week. This week, it's a little more positive, a little more encouragement, a little more, hey, you'll never be in a situation where you have to sin. God has given you every grace that you need. And that's what he, I think Paul wraps this little section up with here in verse 13. We're going to break this into two parts. There's a couple of points under each part. But the first part of the verse is about sin and the nature of sin. And the second part of the verse is about God and the nature of God. And we need both of these parts to understand how to have encouragement in the midst of our struggle against sin. So here's the first part. This is, we'll just call this the common threat of sin. So this is the common threat of sin. Look at verse 13. This is, we're just drilling into to verse 13 this morning. Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And we're just going to stop there. Okay. So the common threat of sin, just like anything, if we're battling something, we need to know what it is we're battling against. So when, when football coaches are, are preparing to go to, to war against the, the team the next week, they're watching game film. They need to understand. When, when you've got military commanders going to war against their enemy, they're doing recon. They need to know what they're up against. We need, no, need to know what we're up against in the battle against sin. And Paul says the first thing that we need to understand is that sin is going to try to get you. It is going to try to get you. No temptation has overtaken you. And the idea is it's trying to grab you. It's trying to get you. It, it doesn't just sit still. It's almost like he's personifying sin. Almost like it's this thing that is, that is out to get us. It has an agenda, and that agenda is to seize us, to snatch us, and to kill us. That's sin's agenda. Remember all the way back in Genesis 4, verse 7, right before Cain murdered his brother Abel, remember that God gives Cain a warning. He says, sin is crouching at your door, and you need to master it, or it will master you. It's almost like a shopkeeper, like like getting ready to lock up, and God's like, hey, just so you know, there's some sin thugs right outside, and you better get a baseball bat, or a taser, or a sidearm, or something, because someone's going to win the battle here. It's either going to be the sin thugs, or it's going to be you. It ain't going to be both. you got to figure it out. So it's a battle. 
You have to master sin. This is what temptation is. It's no joke. It will try to overtake you, seize you, capture you, and get you to sin and drag you into death. And I just want to be clear, because this is important. Just because we're tempted doesn't mean we've sinned. Just because we're tempted does not mean that we've sinned. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way yet without sin, right? So Jesus was tempted, but he didn't sin. So just because the temptation comes along doesn't mean that we've fallen into the trap of sin. When that temptation comes along, we have a choice, and that's very important. So just because your friend comes up and starts telling you some juicy morsel of gossip doesn't mean you've sinned just yet. You can put a stop to it. Just because that pop-up ad comes up on, on the computer doesn't mean you've fallen into sin just yet. You can stop it. Just because someone offers you a third helping of cookies doesn't mean you've fallen into gluttony just yet. Two helpings, okay. Three, eh. When the temptation comes, you guys, we have a choice. We can either choose to sin or we can choose to obey. And we need to understand that it is a choice. For those who are in Christ Jesus, who are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness, and Jesus is our master, it is always a choice whether we will obey or not obey. It's always a choice. It's never, I had to do it, or the devil made me do it nonsense, or whatever. It is always a choice that we have to either obey or disobey. And by the way, when we come to this issue of sin, we, we need to be a very aware of what we are most prone to sin in. A lot of times we know what other people are prone to sin in, or, or we comment on the, the sin that's going on in the world, or that sort of thing. But, but really the issue here is, what are you most tempted to sin in? What am I most tempted to sin in? I think it was Tim Challies who once asked, if you were Satan... How would you tempt you today? That's a pretty insightful question. And whatever the answer is, you need to shore that up. And you need to guard yourself against that sin. Because it's trying to get you. Sin is not neutral. It's not sitting there. It's trying to get you to die. We could say that that there are maybe two types of temptations. There's a little bit of a theology of sin. There are two types of temptations. There are temptations within that come in from within us, our own evil heart. And there are temptations from the outside that are, that are not, that are not from within us. So temptations from within are basically the things that we do to ourselves. We stop by the store that we know we shouldn't be in because we don't have the money to pay for those things. But here we are. Yeah, that's a temptation from within. We desire these things. We desire to consume, that sort of thing. I'll be honest, one of my worst temptations on from within is having make-believe conversations with people. So I'll be driving down the road, and for some reason, like somebody who hurt me or did me wrong or something from from back in the day comes up, and I and I imagine I bump into them, and I start having this conversation. And I start imagining all the things. You guys never do this, right? It's just me? Okay. So I start imagining all these things I'm going to say to them. And, and I'm getting angrier and angrier. And then this, the conversation goes like, it's a fairy tale conversation, you guys. It doesn't even exist in the real world. And all of a sudden I'm sinning in this fairy tale conversation. And I'm angry. And I got to like cool down and ask forgiveness. And it's just all me. Like there, there was no outside thing. There's just me having this, having this go round 
in my own mind. These are all internal temptations. They are of the flesh. They are their own making. It's my own sinful heart. And and just as an encouragement, we need to be very careful what we set our minds on because it, it's not just make-believe conversations, all kinds of stuff that well up in our hearts that we need to be on guard against. Temptations are also external. So you're minding your own business and boom, sin comes knocking. Someone comes and they ask you about something and you are tempted to lie about it. Oh, well, I, I didn't get that project done. Uh, we're close. We're close to getting that project done. You're not close. You know you're not close. You're tempted to lie maybe. Or maybe your own, you're minding your own business and dad tells you to go do something and your first response is not, well, why yes, father, I would be so delighted to stop my really engaging video game and, and go do this really boring chore of yours. Maybe that's not your first inclination. And maybe father is your first inclination at resistance is, is, uh, elevated volume. Just throwing that out there. Those are external temptations. Right? These are things on the outside that, that we're responding to that tempt us into sin. So there's internal, there's external, and we need to be on guard for both. And we need to be brutally honest, you guys, where we're the weakest. Because that's where we will fail over and over again. And not only do we need to be honest, we need to take steps to actually stop that. To have a plan for what are we going to do when we enter into that temptation. I'm going to see this, this guy, and every time I see this guy, we start arguing about stuff. Okay, well, you have to see the guy because he's part of your life. So how do you keep from arguing about it? You need a plan of righteousness walking into that situation. You have to do that with every aspect of life. Of course, we know that the source of temptation is often the devil. He's called the tempter. That's just what he does. As he tries to get people to sin. And to love sin. First Peter 5 says he prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. Satan's not on the sideline going, oh yeah, huh. Looks like they're about to, looks like they're about to sin. Interesting. No, he's the one trying to eat them. To devour them. To get them into sin. And you know that if Satan's doing it, all his demons are doing it as well. They're all working nonstop to drag us into sin and to master us. Here's the deal, though. A little bit of encouragement. Verse 13, first part. So no temptation has overtaken you. So it's trying to get you. That is not common to man. You guys, it's the same old playbook. Sin is the same old playbook. It's been the same old playbook for 6,000 years. It's just the same old thing. Just recycled and put in different packages. There are absolutely no sins that are new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. All of our temptations are common. Actually, Paul uses a double negative. He says no temptation is not common. Well, if you flip both of those around, every temptation is common. Everything we go through is the same thing that Adam and Eve and Enoch and Abraham and Moses and all those guys all did. They all struggled with these exact same temptations. Nothing new. What about critical race theory? That's new. No, it's not. It's the same old thing, sin of partiality. Just engaging one person on the basis of their color. It's racism repackaged. That's all it is. We know how to fight that. Everyone's made in the image of who? God. And so we just treat them as though they're made in the image of God. What about LGBTQ plus I plus plus? Nothing new. Just a sin of homosexuality. 
sin of rejecting being made in the image of God, either male or female. That's all it is. There's nothing new. It, it might look, you know, rainbows and all this other stuff. There's nothing new, you guys. Nothing new under the sun. Same old sin. And you know what solves that? It's the gospel. It's our same old gospel that defeats sin through the power of Jesus Christ. We don't need to fear these sins. It's all the same old stuff. It's all been around for thousands of years. It's Christ who will come to judge the living and the dead, who offers forgiveness to those who have rebelled against him, no matter what that sin is, because they're all the same. We've been working through these for thousands of years, and he will forgive them based on his shed blood. And more to the point here, there's nothing that you struggle with or that I struggle with that's new. Whatever it is in in your life, let's take your top three sins, and if you could snap your fingers and those go away, you would take it in a heartbeat. Those top three sins or top 20 or whatever they are, nothing new. I'm guessing that most of the people in here struggle with the same things. Whether they tell you or not is a different issue. We don't need to fear these sins. Paul here specifically has in mind with what we saw last couple of weeks idolatry, sexual immorality, and grumbling. Those are all the examples that he just gave us. We are always prone to become idolatrous, to make something in our life our functional God. So when you have a bad day, what's that thing you run to? That's your functional God. That's what it is. So I'll just be honest. I run to news. I have a bad day. I want to check out, and I just want to look at Google News for hours or whatever. You know what that is? It's a functional God. Anything that you go to for comfort and support and encouragement other than Jesus is your functional God. That's just what it is. We are prone, you guys, to be idolatrous. We're prone to be sexually immoral. We're prone to covet. Covet our neighbor's house or ox or lawnmower or television or iPhone. All those plasticky things made in China. I got to have those things. Orient my whole life around them. You know what that's called? It's called a God. It's a trinket. That's what it is. We're, we're prone to that. That's common. I'm not saying it's okay, but, but this is what people have been dealing with for thousands of years. We laugh at the golden calf incident. And it's like we stand around like these huge TVs. and we, Like I go crazy if I don't know what the football scores are. Like what's that all about? It's my idolatrous heart. We all have that. Whatever it is in your life that you really, really want and you're just irritated that you can't get it. Whether it's a vacation or a car or a relationship or whatever. Fill in the blank. That's the functional idol. Sexual immorality. That's, that, that's the issue here. Can I tell you something? Christians struggle with sexual immorality. My friend Jim Moore, I think some of you guys know Jim Moore. He says that, that 90% of men struggle with sexual immorality. The other 10% are liars. <laughs> Welcome to the world. Nothing that we struggle against is uncommon. Nothing, no thing has overtaken you that is not common. And I'm guessing the same is true with the ladies. It might be more of an emotional connection that you desire than the physical, but it's still temptation to long for somebody other than your spouse. So Jody and I were watching a romantic comedy this last week that will remain nameless. But Tom Hanks is like this really dashing, like perfect guy. And like he's sensitive and he's kind and, and understanding. And like I'm peeking over Jody and 
And of course, Meg Ryan looks regal in every scene. Never a bad hair day. Like, they're on top of the Empire State Building, and like the wind's blowing 90 miles an hour. It's all perfect and flowing. Meg Ryan. You guys, that's fiction. It's all fiction. It doesn't exist. I cry at Toy Story because it's more realistic than romantic comedies. Like, they're having this little moment on the top of the Empire State Building, and I'm like, it's just not real. I'm so sorry. This is just all fiction. It's all fiction. But we long for that, don't we? For a relationship, whether it's emotional or physical or, or whatever. This is common. So is grumbling and complaining. Humanity has always been tempted to be a bunch of whiners. Bunch of grumblers. All of us. I told you last week, I grumble about the grumblers. Adam did that. Right after he sinned, God, this woman you gave me. Two people got thrown under the bus in one sentence. Eve and God. Like there's there's no accountability there. One sentence. We grumble. We complain. We blame shift. You guys, we, we struggle with other sins too. Did you know that Christians struggle with deep, long, dark depression? They do. Sometimes for months. Sometimes for years. We struggle with swearing and gossip and slander, with lying and coveting and drunkenness, with homosexuality, with hatred and murder of the heart. Right? These are things we want to get out of our lives, but these are things that all Christians struggle with. This is all common. God is not up in heaven going, oh my goodness. Michael, come take a look at this. I haven't seen this one before. What are we going to do? It's all the same. All the same, from the foundation of the world. All the same. All the battles that we face, they're all the same. And part of the problem is we keep our sin secret. We don't want to confess our sin to one, one to another like the Bible tells us to do because we'll feel weird. But what if they don't really, what if they don't really struggle like me? What if they judge me? What if they shame me? Can I just be honest? They will judge you. They will shame you. You'll have those bad incidents. We should still confess our sins one to another. And encourage one another. The way that we bond together, you guys, is through our weakness and through our need for grace from Jesus. I've confessed my sins to people, and then it go gets slandered all around. I still confess my sins to people because that's what we're called to do. Because nothing here is uncommon. Nothing you're going through is unique. God knew it all when he saved you. So that's the nature of sin. It wants to kill us. It's all the same old stuff, though. Nothing new. It's the same playbook. And and we got the answer. We have the solution to that playbook. We can put it to death. What about the nature of God? Nature of God. Look again in verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. That's the nature of sin. Here's God. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation, you will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So this is good. We learn four things about the nature of God here. Okay, four things. The first is that God is faithful. God is faithful. And I think really the idea here more is that God is trustworthy. He is able to be trusted in the midst of our temptation. So if you've ever tried to go to the playground with little kids and they're climbing on stuff, it's really big for them. They're scared. And you're standing right there, ready to grab them, ready to hold on to them. But they're still scared. And what kind of truth are you encouraging with them? 
honey, I'm right here. If you fall, I'll catch you. I won't let you fall. I won't, I won't let you get hurt, anything like that. What you're trying to communicate to them is I am trustworthy. You might fall, but I'll catch you. But I am trustworthy. I will get you up this whatever they're climbing. That's the idea. Is God is trustworthy in the midst of our trials, in the midst of temptation, when temptation is bearing down, God is trustworthy. He, he's not unaware. He's not like the parent, like, oh my goodness, there's Jason. Way over there. Stay right there, Jason. No, he's been there the whole time. Keeping us, protecting us, providing for us. He's trustworthy. You say, well, what if I fail? What if I sin? You know what? He's still trustworthy then too. The blood of Jesus still covers us. Second Timothy 2, it says, if we have died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign. If we deny him, he will deny us. But if we are faithless, you know what he remains? Faithful. You can't just outright reject Jesus. But if we're faithless, if we fall into sin, he's still faithful. His blood still covers us. He's the safety rope on the climbing thing. So God is faithful. He's trustworthy. The second thing we learn about God is that he is sovereign over our trials. Look at the last half of that verse again. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. So he's trustworthy and specifically he's trustworthy to know what you can and cannot handle. He knows what you can handle and what you can't handle. Whatever trial comes your way has been pre-approved by God for you. So, so there's going to be no trial, no temptation that comes your way and go, God, mm-mm, I can't handle this one. No, whatever you're in has been pre-authorized by God. Nope, he can totally handle that. Yep, she's got this one. It's big, but she's got it. We know that. God is not a far off God just hoping his kids don't get into too much trouble while he's away. No, he is intimately and sovereignly involved in every single one of our lives, knowing what we're going through, knowing what's coming our way, knowing how much we can handle. He knows what you can handle more than you know what you can handle. And that's probably evidenced by the fact that we're going through something. We don't want to go through it. We don't want to handle it anymore. And God's like, yeah, but I know you can because I know you better than you know you. And so we're going through it together we'll go over at james chapter one for just a minute and we see this this issue of god's sovereignty over our trials and temptations and if you remember from the book of job there's just sort of this tension we have to live with right is is god Bringing this trial on, or is Satan bringing this trial on? And the answer is, yeah. God's not evil, and he's not trying to get us to sin, but he's using Satan for his own purpose and glory. And who carried out the the trials in Job's life? Well, Satan did. Well, but who tried Job? Well, God did. But how does that, I don't know. We We just rest in that tension a little bit. But we see some truths here. Verse 2 of James 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, 
lacking in nothing. So when trials come our way, what should our attitude be about them? Oh, come on, you guys. It's right there. Count it all. Joy, my brothers. When you encounter all kinds of trials, all kinds of various kinds of trials. Why? Because if you connect all of the dots that James is is putting out here, the purpose of our trials is that God wants to perfect us. Surprise, surprise, you're not perfect where you're at right now. And so God is going to take you through trial after trial after trial after trial after multiple trials at the same time, multiple trials at the same time to perfect you. To produce in you the holiness which he purchased on the cross in your life. Because you know that it's not Satan trying to perfect us. It's God trying to perfect us. It's God trying to make us more holy. It's God trying to make us more in the image of Jesus as we live our lives. Look down at verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So at the very end of all these trials, we get the crown of life. We get to see Jesus in glory forever. We receive our inheritance. We receive our reward But this, and this is big, this is important. We can never say God was trying to get us to sin. That's never the purpose of God bringing us through trial. It might be Satan's purpose, but it's not God's purpose. His goal, God's purpose in in all of this, in orchestrating trials, is to bring us into perfection. To strain off all the, 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 the dross, all the garbage, and to present us pure when we see him. Satan wants to get... Get us to sin and and fail. Even in that, though, you guys, we run to Jesus and he gets glory for the mercy he's shown us. God's never trying to get us to sin. If we sin, it's because of our own desires. What's interesting here is you may have noticed that sometimes the word trial is used and sometimes the word temptation is used. What's the difference? Actually, they're the same word in Greek. It's just context. Is it, is it Satan trying to get us to sin, or is it God bringing us through a difficult time? Even those difficult times can be a, a, a source where we do sin. So how do we understand God's role in all of this? I don't know, except to say that God is sovereign. He's not trying to get you to sin. And whatever temptation that you're in, whatever trial you're going through, he's given you the grace where you don't have to sin. You don't. You can be faithful in the midst of all of it. And give him glory. Look back at verse or First uh, Corinthians ten. This is what Paul is getting to. <clears throat> God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability at all. So whatever else we can say is, He will never ever tempt us beyond our ability. We'll never be in that situation where we just can't do it. I would never take my three-year-old to the gym 
put them on, on the bench press and put 225 on there. Like, all right, buddy, let's see what you got. Why? Because that would crush him. And people would look at me like, what were you thinking? You know he doesn't have that ability. Now, if he did go to the gym with me, I might give him a two-pound weight to carry around for a little while. And he might be able to do it for a while and then after about two minutes start whining because that's too heavy. And I'm like, dude, it's two pounds. You got this. I know you got this. And when you're four, I'm going to give you four pounds. They're going to get harder and more difficult. But you know what? I know you better than you know you, and you can do this. I wouldn't give you 225. I'm giving you two. You can do this. That's how God is with us. He's never going to give us 225. Might give Tim 225. I think he could bench 225. (laughs) Not giving me 225. He's never going to give us more. He knows us. He's not going to drop a dump truck on us. We might, be, we might be lifting a lot more than we want. But by his own sovereign goodness and purpose and grace, we can lift it. And when all is said and done, we will look back and we won't say, oh, I did all that. You know what we'll say? It was Christ in me who was able to carry that. There's a lot of trials, you guys, we don't want to go through. Multiple trials, maybe at the same time that we don't want to go through. We think we're at the max, but God will never put us at the max. He will never, ever bring us through something that we can't handle. His purpose is not to crush us. It's not to see us fail. His purpose is to get us to succeed through his grace. In fact, 2 Corinthians 4 says, This momentary affliction that we're going through, this difficulty and suffering is light. And it's momentary. Think of the hardest trial you've ever been through in your life. Paul which is sort of the wave of his hand says, yeah, that's just light. That's just momentary in light of the glory that is going to be revealed in heaven. We'll be standing in heaven in glory, looking face to face with Jesus, reminiscing about all of this nonsense that we've gone through here. And we'll be like, that was nothing compared to the joy that we're experiencing right now. It's light. It's momentary. So God is trustworthy. God is sovereign. Third, God always makes a way out. Verse 13. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. So again, God is very near to us in the midst of our temptations and trials. You never have to sin. There's always a way of escape. The uh, one commentator said that the imagery that he's using here with the words is like an army that's trapped in a valley. And the other army's coming in and there's no way out. And he says, no, there's, there's always a secret passage. There's always a way up the backside of the mountain. It's not clear and it's not obvious all the time. You've got to look for it. You've got to strive to see it. But there is a way. I've never been in one, but have you guys seen those escape rooms that are like all the rage these days? It's like you pay like 60 bucks and they lock you in a room. And you have an hour to get out. Right. Well, the way out is not obvious. Like that's the whole point of the escape room, right? Is you're you're following clues and logic and and how to get yourself out. And the smart ones of y'all can actually get out in an hour. I would just sit on the ground, and just take my money, because um, I can't get out. But the idea is you, you have to prepare. You have to strive to get out. That's the same thing that's true with sin. A lot of us, when when temptation comes our way, when sin comes our way, we're just like, well, well, here it comes again, and I'm done. No, we we have to find the way of escape. And it's not always so obvious. 
We have to prepare for battle. Again, that, that sin that you keep falling into, that I keep falling into, we've got to go, okay, this is the battle plan. And, and execute the battle plan. And you go, well, that battle plan failed. Well, then we need a new battle plan because we have a promise by God that there is a way of escape. There's a way out of this thing. We're not trapped in it forever. We've been freed from our sin. We are now slaves of righteousness, not sin. So whatever it is that we keep coming back to, there's a way out of it. We can do it. A lot of times, let's be honest, we just don't even think about how to give up our sin. We just fold like lawn chairs. No, we need to strive to know how to battle our temptation. God is sovereign in our hour of temptation, but as you might expect, there's an aspect of responsibility on our part. So you need to find where you're weak and find how to escape. By the way, this doesn't always mean, this way of escape doesn't always mean that the temptation will just disappear. It doesn't work like that because here's the fourth thing. God will sustain us in the midst of our trial. God is faithful. That's one. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Two. But with the temptation will also provide the way of escape. Three. That you may be able to what? Endure. You guys, sometimes the trial doesn't go away. It's not like, oh, there's this magic key and I'm gone. No, no. sometimes we are just steadfast in the midst of the trial. And we endure. And we endure. Some of you guys have chronic pain that tempts you to sin, tempts you to complain, tempts you to be cranky. Sometimes you, you guys are, are, are in a tough work environment, tough family environment. Name, name, the, name the sin, name the temptation or trial. And it just goes on and on and on and on. You're like... Where's my way of escape? Where's my way of escape? Where's my way of escape? Sometimes the way is endurance. It's not that it magically disappears. It's that God gives you the grace to endure it, maybe all your life. Whatever that is. Five more years? Ten more years? Most of us don't have more than 50. Can you bear that up? God says you can. That you may be able to endure it. The idea here is bearing up under something heavy. You remember the, the, the Greek god Atlas who's holding the world on his shoulders, that sort of thing? That's what we're doing. Sometimes through life, we're bearing up under something huge. All of our life, able to endure. Why? Not on our own strength, but the strength of Christ in us. Enabling us to do that. And if you're like me, you might think, well, I just can't bear up under this anymore. I'm going to collapse. No, you're not. You won't collapse. By the grace of God, you won't. You'll keep going. You'll endure. You'll keep going and going. You put one foot in front of the other. In fact, God promises that you can do this. He gives you the ability to endure it. You might not have the desire to endure it, but you have the God-given ability to endure this. When the temptation won't go away. One day, you guys, the temptations will go away. They'll all be gone. There'll be no more endurance. There'll be no more need of escape. There'll be no more worrying and and fretting about, do I have the ability to make this through? No, that'll all be gone. Because we'll be staring at Jesus face to face, all of his glory, full of joy, forevermore. Our light momentary afflictions, gone. The eternal weight of glory all ahead of us. And we'll look back and we'll go praise you, God, 
that you brought me through. You guys put your sin to death. You've got all that you need. The same God who died for your sins gives you the ability to obey. He'll never bring you into something you can't handle. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this encouragement. And Lord, we pray that we would be faithful. Where we fail, may you pour out your mercy more and more. You love to forgive. You love us to come to you. So we ask for that forgiveness. Renew our resolve in every temptation and trial. Father, we also ask that you would bless our time of fellowship now. Thank you for this food. May you be honored in our fellowship together. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.